do you believe this is episode seven we're recording? <laughs> it's, uh, uh, it feels like the, the time has really gone by. Um, we still have a lot ahead of us too, but it feels like we were doing episode one just last week. I know, I know. And I like, I'm always talking to my family, like, did you check out my podcast? And they're like, mm, not yet. And so <laughs> like, I know the topic may not be t totally of interest to you, but you know, so my son listens to a lot of podcasts. So now I've got him so that he's going to give me some feedback. So then, oh. you know, hopefully he'll listen and stuff like that. But, Excellent. but he did say to me, how many have you done and how long has it been? And that's when I started thinking about it. And I'm like, holy smokes, we're, it just still feels really new, but here we are on episode seven, and I'm kind of excited because uh, this is Don Campbell, who's been a friend of mine, sort of more professionally than anything, but I, I have friends of hers, friends of mine are good friends with her, so you know I kind of know her that way as well, uh, but we met at a Rick Hansen forum when she worked for the Rick Hansen Foundation, so oh, I'm, okay. I'm excited to, she's done, she worked for um, a Canadian Paralegic uh, oh my goodness, who is it? Canadian Paralympic Committee, which I think is so cool. And then Rick oh, Hansen. Really cool. And then now she's doing work with Equidox, which you know, because we're using their software to, mm -hmm. uh, to remediate our documents. We're sort of early on in the process. Um, but so you've met her a little bit. So she's, she's got so much to say about uh, so many things that are related to uh, so many of our suppliers. So I thought that might be kind of cool. Yeah, uh, it feels but, like yeah. The, uh, the supplier diversity world is very uh, friends of friends of friends of friends kind of neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's such a strong, like we talk about it almost being like a family atmosphere. There's so many mm -hmm. uh, great relationships that we build in the supplier diversity world. And even with our corporate members, you know, we go and we do events together and, you know, it's, it's, it, we're building friendships and relationships and, and it's a, a supportive place for people to be. So I, I, it personally enjoy it. I don't see, you know, there's always some backbiting here and there in any organization that you have together, but really for the most part that we just don't see it in this one, in this supplier diversity world, people are so supportive. Uh, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, I'm flustered today because, uh, my girlfriend and I are um, babysitting, I guess, our grand cat. <laughs> <laughs> and he's been a little bit of a handful. My, my girlfriend's in PEI right now, visiting her sister with her family and just having a great time. And now I'm dealing with the grand cat as well as our cat and our dog. And, and he's only a year, but he's, he's bigger than our cat and almost as big as our dog, who's a, a poodle, um, but not the tiny poodle. And oh, no. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he's just, he's just been, I mean, every cardboard he can find, he chews on. It's just got oh, yeah. to be out of control. So just before the podcast started, uh, the camera was off, which thankfully, but just before it started, he just jumped up on top of my laptop and everything <laughs> that's here. Oh, they gotta know what you're doing. They gotta be on top of everything. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, but I know that it's going to be a fun conversation uh, with Don. So why don't we get Don and we can get started? Absolutely. Um, we stop yakking, and so we'll see you all back here in a second with Don. Hello, everyone, and welcome to podcast number seven with IWSCC, Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. Uh, so our podcasts are brought to you by Remote Video. Uh, who does our production. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you will see that we have sign language uh, included and our ASL interpretation is brought to you by Maple Communications. So my name is Deidre Guy and I am the uh, president and co-founder of the Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. So we are a certifying body that certifies 
uh, both veterans and or folks with disabilities who own businesses in Canada. Certification means that they are 51% owned, operated and controlled by the one or more of those diverse people. And what we do is we connect them to corporate Canada uh, and we have corporate members that are specifically looking to um, include uh, veteran as well as disabled suppliers in their supply chain. And so this is part of what IWSCC does. And so we have with us today, and I'm so happy, we have uh, Don Campbell from Equidox. Uh, and so Equidox is actually one of our corporate uh, members. And so, but also they do some work in an area that is highly important to a lot of our suppliers as well as a lot of our corporate members. So we definitely wanted to have her on. So Don, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So if you can uh, introduce yourself, tell us who is Dawn Campbell and what do you do? Sure, absolutely. So I am a white woman in my mid-40s. I have blonde hair and some dark highlights underneath. Um, I'm wearing dark rim glasses. My pronouns are she and her. I am currently an account manager for a company called Equidox, Equidox Company. But I'm also an educator, I'm an advocate, and my most important role is a mother to my nine-year-old son. So that's me. That sounds great. I always love it when we include some of the other things, and especially including the nine-year-old son. <laughs> I remember those days. So is he still off with his dad this week? Did we talk about that last week? He is, yeah. Yep, absolutely, on vacation. So oh, very exciting. Yeah, that's great. And so mom gets a bit of time to herself too. Yeah. Lots of work. <laughs> so tell us, Don, a little bit about Equidox. What does Equidox do? And I know that there's something new and exciting about Equidox, so please share that with us too. Yeah, so Equidox, which used to be a product of a company, is now its own company. So that's our big and really exciting news. Um, Equidox company has, we want to help governments, we want to help universities, colleges, organizations reach everyone through accessible PDF documents and solutions. So we have software, we have services that help companies achieve goals related to digital accessibility. Um, we provide solutions that help companies from big to small. Our large companies, so let me give you an example, a large company that would produce like thousands of PDFs a month, um, like customer statements. We have automated solutions that can again help ensure that those documents are gonna be accessible for individuals that require the use of screen readers. We have smaller, so we have other solutions that again, help smaller companies, again, make sure that they're creating documents that are accessible and compliant to legislation. Um, we have in-house services also where companies can send us all of their inaccessible and legacy type documents and PDFs, and we can remediate that and send that back. So really, our goal is to help companies just ensure that their websites and the documents on those websites reach everyone. So I'm thinking of a few things as, as you say that. First of all, yeah. those, those jobs where you're taking their legacy documents, as you refer to them. So that's like so that's a company coming in and say, OK, all of our documentation, please make it accessible. Those must be some huge jobs. Like how long does something like that take? 
again, it really depends on the timelines of the customers, right? right yeah. So here specifically in Ontario, and we're starting to see, again, other provinces roll out legislation in this area. So there is a big movement right now amongst some of our biggest companies right now that they're starting to go through their websites and sort of do this, I call it a forensic audit, where yeah. they do this real dig deep, how many PDFs are on our website and oh, wow. how many pages of PDF is that? And and how many of these documents are actually really being looked at and used and need to be up on this website? So do and you once, guys do that for them or they have no, to- No, that's that really an internal thing that need that is happening right now amongst um, many accessibility professionals that, uh, again, are, are in this space in, in our large companies here. And so once that happens, then again, you get, yeah, a list of all of this legacy stuff. And so you do have to deal with all of these legacy documents. And it's funny, like, I know we're going to probably talk about this later, but one of the misconceptions is that if I have an access um, around the space that I'm in right now is that if I have an accessible website, it means all my documents on it are accessible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not true, mm -hmm. right? So that's where this whole stem, this whole thing stems from is being able to kind of break down this misconception that um, that is out there, that PDF is an accessible format for people who use screen reading devices. And so of course our legislation in Ontario and in BC and in other provinces are trying to help educate and address the fact that when you create documents and especially the PDF world, which almost everything gets saved to, there has to be work put into it to make it accessible. So, and that was the other thing that struck me about when you were talking about Equidox, what Equidox does. And, and even though we use it, and again, uh, admittedly, I don't use it often in my role, but we do have people who use it. We're very, very new users uh, and excited to have it. But it strikes me there are just so many PDFs generated in a day in a large organization. So is the goal to make sure every single PDF is um, accessible? Is that the thought process? Well, I mean, our, our law... In mm. Ontario, for example, that falls under AODA. And I mean, we now have the Accessible Canada Act that is mm -hmm. looking at this. Um, if you're public facing, if that PDF is going on your website and it okay. is public facing and you have more than 50 employees as a part of your company, then yeah, it needs to be accessible. Right. And yeah. then what's interesting, though, too, is when you reflect and think about the big companies in, uh, that that we have in Canada that are also promoting themselves as being an equitable employer. Because if we're going to be equitable and inclusive employers, we also need to start thinking about the internal documents mm -hmm. that float around department to department, although that is not mandated by the law. And I so, think about, too, like, uh, you know, if someone's in a sales role, for example, they're sending out PDFs all day long to prospective clients. They have no idea whether, and so wouldn't those prospective clients, if they required the use of a screen reader, be so thrilled to know that that document is already accessible? And, and, and you just don't know where these, these documents are going. So that really struck me when you were talking about what Equidox does, because it, it sounds like a lot of paper shuffling or, you know, digital paper shuffling, but it's really quite important in the, in the scheme of, you know, the communications world. So I think it's Absolutely. so cool when you really look into it. 
we first met at, uh, first of all, did you say all that you wanted to say about the exciting news? I did. Okay. <laughs> I did. I mean, okay. Equidox um, as a company is, is, is an exciting step for us, but yeah. um, internally it's an exciting step. Um, customer facing, it really doesn't change anything for my customers. It's still the same amazing product and it's still the amazing, still amazing development team that again is is making this software happen. So really it's it's an internal change, not so much as a, a for outside forward facing change, but we're very excited. I feel like if I were you, I would I would be like, okay, we're all in this boat together now. This is new and exciting, and we're doing this on our own instead of you know being part of the the larger parent company. Is there a sense of that? There is, yes, absolutely, yeah. And that's what that's what we're really excited about for sure. And again, because we have a number of accessibility solutions, we can really go in and help a company no matter where they're at on this journey. Um, you know, uh, it, it just makes us really robust and it's nice. That's very, that's, I mean, that's so super important as a, <laughs> as a service-based company. So I'm reading over here in my notes, um, but it's been, I think, eight and a half years since we first met at a Rick Hansen forum event at the Intercontinental, I think. Uh, and, you know, I always, I always comment on that. And this is certainly not any kind of negativity towards the Rick Hansen Foundation, more so the lack of accessibility in, um, in, well, everywhere. But even though they host the, the Rick Hansen uh, forum every year, they're still not fully accessible. You know, they still don't have uh, automated door operators on their bathrooms. So, you know, when we had someone attend with us who used as a chair, they, they still required assistance to get the door open. And I thought, oh my goodness, of all the places. But at any rate, that's another rant that I, but I share that rant often with people that it just I shows know. the incredible lack of accessibility on all the layers. And that doesn't even include invisible disabilities, of course. But so we, mm -hmm. what did you do when you were with Rick Hansen? And, and what did you do with the Canadian Paralympic Committee? I mean, that sounds so cool to me. I, I just, I just wanted to like step into your shoes and have, I've learned all of that. And what, how's it different from Equidox and what you do with Equidox? Yeah. So, I mean, I loved my work with uh, Rick and with uh, the Paralympic Committee. And, you know, at my heart, I am an educator. And I do believe that when you know better, you do better. And I do believe that's a Maya Angelou quote. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you know better, we do better. Um, so when I was with Canadian Paralympic Committee, because that was, you know, again, first part of first part of my early journey, um, it was a program where I sent Paralympic coordinated and sent Paralympic athletes out to really educate healthcare professionals about the value of sport in, in rehabilitation process. Um, I really got to watch fabulous human beings um, really change mindsets and attitudes of the healthcare profession. And, and, and I mean, as it relates to, again, stereotypes and misconceptions around individuals with, uh, with disabilities. That sort of really transpired into, again, my work with Rick, where um, with the Rick Hansen Foundation, and that was really working with directors of education across the country. And again, it, it had a lot to do with breaking down stereotypes and misconceptions. It had a lot to do with sharing about, you know, Rick Hansen and his man in motion world tour and, and, um, and inspiring sort of this next generation of kids. But I think what was one of the uh, most exciting things for me to do, um, be a part of in that program was, was being able to really write lesson planning, um, mm. and really help expose our youth 
to um, lessons that help them look around their built environment and really determine how physically accessible it was for for their friends and for everyone right. to be involved. So um, again, I've you know I've worked in this space um, around physical environment too, and that is what really led me into this world of digital I'm in now. Because, you know, five years ago, when I moved into the world of digital accessibility, I found that it was actually a really easy role for me to move into because the core philosophy was still the same. And that is simply being that if you build it right, if you build something from the beginning with accessibility and inclusion in mind, you are going to be end up reaching almost everyone. Here. Right? Here. And so <laughs> whether you're building a new building yep. um, and it needs ramps and elevators and braille signage and all of those things, or whether you're building a website and a document, the thing is, is if you keep accessibility at the forefront of that conversation, you're going to be reaching the broadest of audience, right? So that was that was sort of um, what really championed it for me. And it really lit a fire inside of me and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to learn as much as I could about what makes documents accessible and what makes websites accessible. And I realized that for many years myself, having been you know, what I felt was a, a, an advocate, um, a, you know, a, a champion of accessibility. Sure, yeah. And I realized too, is that like, if, if I didn't know this stuff, mm. then most people don't know this stuff, That's right? And so point. again, the digital, the digital world for me was just this opportunity for me to plunge full in as a lifelong learner. Um, and, and again, but at its core, and in that, in that core philosophy of understanding universal design for universal design and, um, you know, understanding accessibility at the forefront of the conversation, it, it just made so much sense for me. You know, that's so cool. And, and I'm, I'm there with you because, you know, I have a big background in the accessibility, not quite as exciting as what you've done. I mean, some of the cool people you've met. I mean, I'm, I feel very fortunate to have met and hung out a little bit with Rick. He's lots of fun and I, I really enjoy his, his personality. But, uh, you know, you got to spend some working hours with him. And, and that's, I think, you know, that's to be envied, I think for sure. But I do know that my family and, and close friends and employees and everyone who starts to learn about the accessibility world, they're astounded and shocked at the number of things that are inaccessible for the, for the built environment. And so now that we're all starting to learn more and more as we go about the digital environment, it's just the same thing. I just look at that and go, oh my goodness, how is anyone able to read that? Whether you have, you know, whether you're fully sighted or not, like these are, there's no contrast, you know, so I, I'm on my family is probably like, oh my God, Deidre, please. But, <laughs> but it's so important. Yeah. And, and, and I agree, you know, when you, when you fix everything for folks, uh, for those of us with disabilities, it works for everyone, right? It does. Yeah. So we uh, at IWSCC, and we've talked about this in the past, of are um, doing some work on accessible procurement along with a couple of other organizations. And so when we were talking about this podcast, uh, preparing for it, you and I discussed, oh my gosh, accessible procurement. So I'd love to kind of, you know, what where is the relationship? Where's that intersectionality between the, the accessible document services that you provide and procurement itself? 
So, I mean, I am still learning all the, I'm still learning lots about procurement, okay, yeah. and and entering into, into my role and going into, um, you know, going into these tender websites and looking for companies who want to have my company as, as a potential service or, or solution, again, has sort of, has really opened up my, my eyes to, to what the world of procurement is. And again, I have learned so much from you, <laughs> from Jeff Wilson, uh, from people like Mike Gifford, um, who are up in Ottawa, who again, are just these tireless advocates ar around the procurement step. So again, you know, I'm not an expert in procurement, um, the whole, but there are pieces of it that, that again, I find ironic and I find fascinating. And I guess, you know, when I think about it, there are kind of two, two sort of spots. And again, I'm looking at my, at my notes just a little bit to make sure that, you know, I stay honed in on this conversation because one piece that, again, I find the irony in is around the RFP process, which mm -hmm. for the request for proposal piece of procurement, it's right again, it's that last step that you're going out to like get bids for it, right? So, so, you know, an important piece of that. And, and I can't tell you how many times um, that process in itself, when it comes to document accessibility, is not accessible, right? And that's been a real source of frustration where I'm, I'm having to, I find a company who might want to, you know, again, is looking for a vendor for, to fix all of their PDF. And, and I'll, I'll go on the tender site and I have to download a PDF and I'm expected to pull it apart, respond with PDFs, but then, None of like, but then I have to always make sure I'm remediating those because there's this great irony and I can't just submit a PDF document that's, that's not accessible because I'm trying to get you to send all your stuff to make it accessible. And yet sometimes even just the, the tender sites that I'm on, um, are so difficult to navigate. And I'm thinking like, I'm a, uh, able-bodied, um, intelligent person and I'm frustrated by by just the accessibility of, of again those those procurement type sites which I which I find fascinating um, the other area where I find that I've been um, a little bit more of, of an educator around also is through I do a lot of work in the last couple of years with governments, right? Government, I mean, at this point, we know because of legislation is feeling the most pressure to make mm -hmm. sure that that their websites and documents are, are, are again, being compliant and meeting that law for, for good reason. And so again, it's been been interesting when I think about the procurement piece that I've been starting to see this huge trend where um, governments now, again, are giving pushback to the vendors that they bring on to create these documents. So you think about a local sure. municipality that has a master transportation plan. Well, they're not do they're not co completing that, you know, you're you're bringing on a vendor to do all that research and and put together that that big plan and then it's getting posted on that municipal website. And now it's again a piece of that procurement piece is like before that vendor sends you that document, Mr. Municipality, you've got to ask for it in an accessible format. And a lot of companies now that again are consult with municipalities are starting to be like, oh, what does that mean? 
I don't even know what that means. What do you mean this has to be WCAG 2.0 compliant AA <laughs> standard, right? And so, so again, there's starting to be this shift um, from the government side into um, into companies too, who are again are like, if you want to win this bid, if you want to win this business with this government, you you want to be thinking about how to make those documents you're creating accessible because you're going to be asked for it, right? Uh, and and that's so important and so much accessibility is becoming more and more prevalent in everything that we do as it should i think that it would be fantastic to get to a point where we don't even have to discuss it anymore stuff's just accessible right we just automatically understand that people are different and we make things as 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 accessible and inclusive as we possibly can um but yeah. but yeah it's 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 not an easy thing because you're right uh, we I, I met with um, a disabled entrepreneur once and he said to me that, you know, in his belief, he's not as disabled as the world is. The world has created much of his disability just because, you know, he uses a wheelchair doesn't mean that it's his problem. The problem is we put steps in everywhere, you know what I mean? And we don't have railings and all these kinds of things that we just don't put in place for everyone. And and so yeah. anyway, another thing yeah. that I could rant yeah. about. And, and again, it's, it's that, right? It's that same philosophy that if we can carry that into the built, into the digital world, a digital world that since this pandemic has hit is like, again, launched programs like Zoom and Google Meet and WebExes and, and again, working from home, like it's launched the digital accessibility world like right up to the forefront, right? Because we've had to adapt. And so, yeah, it's I really agree. Important so it's, it's still like, that's that carryover, right? Um, one of the most exciting things that happened a couple of years ago, pre-pandemic, when we were still, you know, kind of going to conferences, um, was the year that the Ally Group, which A11YTO, right. is a group in Toronto, when they had a conference and they combined the built environment conference to be managed to be at the same time as the digital accessibility conference, yes. and it was an exciting time for me here to be able to see. Um, experts in both of those areas starting to carry over, right? And have those conversations cross. Because again, you can have the most accessible, physically accessible building in the world, but how do you be an equitable employer when all of your software and systems that you use are actually not accessible? Not accessible. So I'm trying to think like an organization that would be considering making their documents accessible um, and, and an organization that doesn't necessarily want to do it. What would be some common misconceptions and not necessarily even from that perspective, but if you can include from that perspective as well, but, but what are the things that think that people consider to be, I guess, negative about document accessibility and, and misconceptions, maybe myths that you can clear up? Um, yeah, so got some bullet points on that for sure. Um, <laughs> I don't know that it's not so much a misconception um, as it is that people just don't know that when okay. you create a document, it doesn't matter whether that document is in Word or PowerPoint or Google Docs. When you save it as PDF, rarely is it a usable document for somebody using screen reading technology. So there are ways that you can build the accessibility into the document. 
um, and in the source program. But again, just know that when you save as PDF, there is a process that in my world is called remediation. And that's ensuring that the digital tags behind um, the information in that document is carried over into that PDF document. Okay, so again, that's one sort of misconception. Um, another misconception would be that I made my website accessible, so therefore all my documents are accessible that are on there. That's a huge one, big falsy, right? Some of the most um, forward thinking, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but again, um, yeah, forward thinking companies are ones that are on this journey right now where they're thinking about the accessibility of their website. And they're also thinking about the accessibility of the documents that are on their website, because although it is a similar journey, it is different. Okay. Different approaches, different yeah. tools are needed, right? So that's one. Um, another misconception is that making PDFs accessible can be hard. Okay. Um, and it can be hard unless you have the right tools, right? Okay. I mean, I always think like digging a hole in the garden is really hard too, unless you have a shovel, like <laughs> by using a rake, right? Like you need the right tools. Right. So that's one. Um, and then I, I would say probably the last one that I'd leave you with is you know, again, something I think you kind of alluded to before is just the fact that it's just blind people who use screen readers. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to worry about that for my business or my company because I don't have mm -hmm. any blind people that use my stuff or work here, or, you know, like and, and again, there's this terrible misconception around around screen reading technology um, and and it just being for people who are blind. And, and, and that's not true. Really? So tell us a bit more about that. Right. Well, again, you got to think about um, individuals with dyslexia. You got to think about individuals with cognitive disabilities. Mm. Um, there's a lot of um, a lot of people who just like to hear things being read, right? I mean, there's a lot of technology right now like that is allowing us to be auditory learners and to be hearing stuff as opposed to just reading it, right? And again, um, you know, I think about why audio, like for me, audiobooks are huge. I love my audiobooks. Mm -hmm. I don't even, I love reading too, but audiobooks are huge too. And why? It's just another, um, my eyes are tired. I'm on the computer all day. I mm -hmm. like that being read to me, right? So it's like a podcast, but bigger, right? <laughs> longer. Yeah. So, so again, there's, you know, individuals with cognitive disabilities, individuals with, um, you know, dyslexia, like there's, there's a whole range of, of people that, um, the auditory feedback, right. Um, is important. Yes. Well, and another <laughs> way to learn so people, is another way to may learn. Not learn through reading as well as they do through hearing and listening. So it's another way for them to learn and understand. Can you take a minute and explain, uh, you know, a, an overview of how a screen reader works? Oh, I'll send you a video that could okay. that, that could take a while. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm not an expert um, 
in screen reader users. I, I have, I can tell you there's a free download NBDA. Um, there's JAWS. There are some very popular screen readers. Um, and, and the use of um, a screen reader is really the only true test of whether something is accessible or not, or whether a document or a PDF is accessible or not, is is listening to it, right? right. Is is having having that direct feedback. So, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of great trainings out there on, um, including on on our Equidox.co website um, that again sort of help explain what it is somebody relying on screen like using screen reading reading technology would experience when going through a document or going through your website and it essentially is a program essentially that takes the written word and for, turns it into audio so for the absolutely yeah that's fan, it's fantastic that we have this kind of technology don't you think it's everything is just so incredibly cool to, that uh, as i learn more about the world of accessibility and what's all out there and available i'm 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 always impressed i'm always impressed so Absolutely. we're going to change the tone a little bit and be a little maybe less professional uh, <laughs> i know that you had a life changing experience and i'm i'm assuming that that's guided you to the accessibility world as an interest and so would you agree with that and and can you just Share a bit about that experience, please. Um, absolutely. So when I was 19 years old, I was involved in a motor vehicle accident and the man in the oncoming car died on impact mm. and I did not. Um, I sustained a lot of injuries to my right leg, um, which over time has led to a right hip replacement and just seven, eight short weeks would feel like long short weeks ago, I had uh, had a full right ankle replacement um, and, and I'm still healing and, and on that recovery journey. So um, at a young age, I was really awakened to the physical barriers that exist. And again, also experienced the assumptions that we make about people who use assistive devices via getting around or to help them learn. Right. So I think that um, it was really just at that young age that I had that experience and, you know, went into a degree in disability studies to really understand um, what you had talked to a little bit about before, understanding um, that social model of disability, meaning that there's, I'm not broken. It's, the fact that we've created these steps everywhere that, you know, again, has created barriers for me that exist. So that was really, you know, my personal mission was to just, you know, be a tireless advocate um, and just break down this stigma. And, and I've and I've crossed paths with, um, again, amazing organizations and companies really doing good work in this space. So. So I was going to ask you: Was was Canadian Paralympic Committee the first job you got out uh, like after school, or what are some of the other areas no. of accessibility that you worked in? Yeah. <laughs> I no, see it on no. your face. For those of you who can't see, I can see you're going. No, not even. No, <laughs> no, yes, no. I know. Um, it must be this illusion of how young I am that I just must be like right out of school. But no, I've got I like twenty when you were out of school. I know. No, I've got some twenty odd years of of, of background again, just in the accessibility space. Again, I, I did a lot 
Um, I did a lot with local colleges. Um, I did a lot in the development. In my early days, I did a lot of work in the um, developmental um, side of disability. Okay. So group homes and, and yeah. again, teaching and um, education around, around that space. So you've got quite a background and so an incredible base of knowledge in there that I'm sure has Thanks. helped to inform you with each of the roles that you have. So in all of that that you that you learned and, and you've done, what uh, really irks you about how accessibility is currently viewed in Canada? And, you know, we've got time. You can rant if you like. Right. <laughs> the place. I feel like um, I feel like an episode. I feel like it should be an episode of Rick Mercer. Oh, I love that man. Oh, Rick goodness, Mercer, right. Rick, you know, Rick's rants. I always wanted to get Rick on, Rick on a rant about accessibility um, yeah. before, he, before he left his show. I thought he'd always be the best person, but I'll try my best Rick rant. Um, but Rick. Really? Um, I think what irks me is, as a country, again, how we are moving towards creating more accessible and equitable communities, right? I mean, no doubt I... I've seen positive changes happen um, over, like I said, the last 20 years that I've been in this space, but I'm still really shocked um, that I have friends like yourself and Jeff Wilson and Thea Curdy and people who, again, are doing these um, amazing um fight having still having these tremendous fights in the built environment and mm -hmm. um, around accessibility. And I say that only because, right, we've had war veterans coming back from war injured for hundreds of years. Like, how have we still not got that right? Um, now, that being said, on the digital space, I have a tiny bit more tolerance only because I, I do that. have to remind myself sometimes that Google is only 23 years old, mm. okay? So Google and the internet, right? And the work that we're doing in this internet space, it's 25, let's round it up a little bit, right? About 25 years old. So I'll be honest, I have a little bit more patience when I reach out to companies and they're like, document accessible, website accessible, <laughs> what's that, right? And I and again, I'm, I'm like, <sighs> Slow down, slow down. Deep breath. I don't know how anybody in the built environment space, their head doesn't blow off their shoulders in having that conversation. So so that's just sort of um, what helps keep it in perspective um, for me when I do have a company that's like, a document accessible, what? I don't know, maybe I'm wrong in this and don't know enough about it, but I, I feel like the, the digital space would be easier to accessibilize is a word I've created. Like, you know, certainly a lot less time necessarily involved than, than the built environment and, you know, building. I don't know. I, I mean, mean, it changes me. so fast, though, right? Our technology changes True. so fast. And I think that's what, you know, what I've seen is as one of the challenge, like, you know, you just get comfortable on social media on a, on a platform and suddenly there's a TikTok that's invented, you know, like, again, it's like, right. I, I mean, the, the, the speed is, is like so much faster than, than the built environment in that way. So I can see why, um, you know, there, there are challenges, but at the same time, you're right. And, and again, this is where no matter what it is that I, that I do and whatever space I'm in, um, 
so much of, of my tendency for my work is to go back to the roots of how important education is, how important it is that our designers that are in design school learning how to be architects and engineers and graphic designers and website specialists, again, have some fundamental training around what accessibility means. So I, I just thought of this question, and, and I hope it's not, uh, you know, it's not on the list of prepared questions. So <laughs> okay. I apologize. But but when we talk about the built environment, uh, we talk to people about, and, and, and Thea is another one that talks about this as well, is going beyond code. Uh, you know, and I often say code is the, the, the worst building you can build legally, right? So you should really be going beyond code. And, and so we, you know, we know organizations that will do what's better for the end user, uh, you know, and, it, and it's always above and beyond code. Is there a way to do that in document accessibility? I see you nodding. Okay. I, and so just briefly, so there is that opportunity yeah. for, for organizations that want to lead the pack. They can go above and beyond what's required. Yeah. And again, you know, like I'm, I'm not a digital ex accessibility expert. Okay. Like, I mean, I, I'm an account manager and I, and I know my job. Okay. But you know, again, I've, I told you a fire was lit where I've jumped me head first into learning all that I can learn about this space. And, and as you say that, and you talk about going beyond the code, this is, a conversation I have a lot with companies is is beyond compliance because right now there's a lot of misinformation about checkers and automated checkers, mm. meaning that I can take this document, run it through this automated checker, and as long as I get green check marks, it's a good document. Okay, and okay. and, and there. That, that's not true. There are ways that, and, and again, one of the simplest things and I'll, you know, simplest thought to leave you with is around um, images, right? If you have a document that has a whole lot of images, you should be putting alternative text mm -hmm. to describe those images. If I have a document with 50 images and my alternative text just says the word photo, <laughs> right? Just says the word photo. Yeah. You are going to pass all of the automated checkers that are available. Wow. If I send that to my friend Robert, who's blind, is that a usable document for him? Yeah. No, yeah. it's not. Um, it's it's compliant. It's not usable. So when you talk about going beyond, that's just one example of, of okay. you know, the challenges that, that this side of the industry has. Yes. Listen, thank you so much for being here today. I, I knew I would have a good conversation and, and we did. Uh, I really appreciate it. And, and you you agreed to come on short notice, which I know sometimes can be nerve wracking. And so that I really appreciate as well. So thanks so much. Thanks. Again I appreciate that. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. So, and thank you everyone for watching once again, uh, for joining us today. And if you want to learn more about supplier diversity, then obviously check us out at iwscc.ca. You can find us on YouTube or all of your favorite uh, podcast uh, platforms. Um, there's new episodes every two weeks. Theoretically, we have missed a couple, but you know, this is how it goes. The goal remains the same. Sometimes the timeline changes, but, uh, but be sure to follow us on social media and that way you can find out exactly when we have a, a new podcast coming on. So thanks again to uh, everyone here and enjoy the rest of your day.